In a few moments, we're going to be looking at a passage uh, in, in the Bible together. There's a lovely story that Bill Hybels tells in one of his books called Becoming a Contagious Christian. I don't know if you've heard this uh, story before, but a newly promoted colonel had moved into a makeshift office during the Gulf War. He was just getting unpacked when out of the corner of his eye, he spotted a, a, a private with a toolbox coming towards his office. And wanting to seem important and wanting to appear as someone who is in charge, he grabbed the phone and started speaking. Yes, General Schwarzkopf, of course. I think that's an excellent plan. You've got my full support on this. Thank you for checking it out with me. Let's touch base again, Norm, soon. Then the uh, private entered the, uh, the office. And the colonel said, what can I do for you, private? And the private said, I'm just here to connect the phone. <laughs> I'll wait. <laughs> Pretending to be in charge. And um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, a church that was under pressure. The church was in uh, Colossae. We looked over the past weeks um, in our series on our vision um, about the plural of disciple being church. We looked at what the church was for and who needs the church. Then we've been looking at just the, the whole area of discipline in giving. But I want us to think this morning about the tendency for churches to lose focus because of the spiritual battle that they're in. It's a challenge to any church all down through the century from the first century to the 21st century. And the church that Paul writes to in Colossae was under pressure. It was coming under lots of influences from outside. The world was trying to squeeze it into its own mold. There were also an abundance of kind of false teachers doing the rounds who were beginning to preach that Jesus was not the only way. And they talked of visions and they talked of angelic experiences that they had and it was almost as if Jesus was not enough for them. And others came in and started to say, well, you've got to adhere to these strict rules on certain things. And Jesus has to come and uh, present himself afresh at time and time again to churches so that we will fix our eyes on him and him alone. So when Paul writes to the church in Colossians, he wants to present Jesus again to them. As the one who is in charge of all things. To confirm that all that we need to know about God and his purposes has been revealed in Jesus Christ. And it fits in with our discipleship theme because the key to discipleship and following Jesus is to know Jesus and to know the truth about Jesus. 
And one of the disciplines that so easily falls aside in our Christian walk is reading the scriptures. We all know that everything that we know of Jesus is contained in this book. We all know that what we have learned of God is in this book, but so often reading it falls by the wayside. And the trouble is that when we stop reading the truth, we start hearing other things. And the temptation is to move away from the centrality of our faith. Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so we come to this passage in the early chapter, chapter 1 of Colossians. And I want you to imagine, if you can, take yourself back 20 centuries. Imagine that you are the church in Colossians. You are the church there and you're gathering and you've had a letter from the Apostle Paul. And you're going to hear these words as if you hear them for the very first time. Colossians chapter 1, reading from verse 15 to 20. And he's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. What an amazing Amazing passage of scripture. When we're tempted to think, who's in charge? This affirms that Jesus is in charge. If I was to ask you on a one-to-one basis over a cup of tea, who's in charge of your life? I wonder what your answer would be. The real one, the honest one, not the one you give to the pastor because he's coming round to see you. Who's in charge of your life? Or if someone was to ask you, who's actually in charge of Chipping Camden Baptist Church? Who's in charge? Or who do you think's in charge of the universe? And the answer to all three is Jesus. Or we want it to be. For good Jews like Paul, who was a Pharisee, One of the essential principles in the Old Testament that God is spirit, invisible, transcendent, holy. Even the second commandment provides clear instructions that there should be no attempt to represent God in any image or form because of his majesty. God is way beyond the limits of human imagination. It is God who reveals 
himself again and again and again. But the ultimate revelation is Jesus. Towards the end of his earthly ministry, one of the disciples called Philip voiced a frustration. I'm sure it was shared by the other disciples when he said, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus' immediate response is, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. That's gobsmacking. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. If you have seen me, you have seen God. He says elsewhere, the Father and I are one. And Paul takes up this theme in Colossians, using this, and it's believed to be an early hymn from the church. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. This church that was under pressure to compromise in so many ways, under pressure from the world, from the spiritual battle that they were in, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's not just a good likeness, or he doesn't carry just a degree of similarity, but is the exact likeness. As the writer of the Hebrews puts it, he is the exact representation. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. Jesus is the ultimate, unique, definitive self-revelation of God. If anyone wants to know what God is like, really like, They need to begin not with their own ideas or even their own spiritual experiences, but with Jesus. And he is the cosmic Christ. And sometimes in our lives, when the pressures come upon us, we wonder whether Jesus is really in control. This week, when when we heard the news of Jackie's death and I talked to Dan, And Dan was just coming to terms with the fact that he had really, really believed that God was going to heal her. Not just in a wishful thinking kind of thing, but he he felt that he had been given faith for it. And at that moment, you just have to trust, don't you, that God is in control. And sometimes our eyes sometimes drift away Because of the circumstances in our lives. Paul reminds this church that Jesus is the cosmic Christ. Firstborn over all creation. And firstborn speaks an eternal sonship. He's not not firstborn of creation. Meaning that Jesus was the first thing created. That's not what Paul is saying. He is the firstborn over creation. He pre-existed creation. In fact, Jesus spoke creation into being. And just like John's gospel, as John begins his gospel, in the beginning was the word, Jesus. And the word was God. Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning. Paul is teaching the Colossian church here that the pre-existence of Jesus Jesus himself, when he was on this earth in discussion with the religious leaders, referred back to Abraham as the Pharisees were talking about Abraham. And he said very clearly, before Abraham was, I am. I am. 
which if you translate that back means I'm the Lord, I am God. And the religious leaders got so upset with Jesus because they understood that Jesus was claiming to be God in the flesh. They accuse him, you a mere man claim to be God, claim equality with God. Now while the Jesus of Nazareth that we celebrate at Christmas was, had a specific beginning, was conceived in Mary's womb by the Holy Spirit, was born in Bethlehem, he was pre-existent. Before all things, Jesus was there with the Father and the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about who's in charge, no one, no one can challenge his lordship. He is in his divine nature, God. Although he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, he humbled himself, became a human being. And the cosmic Christ is celebrated in this early chapter of Colossians. And if we think of Jesus solely in terms of his human earthly life, which is a temptation because that's who we kind of relate to better, because we relate to a human being better, then our Jesus becomes too small. He is the cosmic Christ. And Paul explains the lordship of Jesus over the cosmos and over his church in three similar ways. That he is the source, the head, and the sustainer of both. So Lord of the cosmos, he is the source of creation. For by him all things were created. Everything, absolutely everything, owes its existence to Jesus Christ. Every human being Every angelic being, whether they be the good or the bad. And as the source of creation, the Son is the one who puts into action the loving, creative purposes of the Father. He is the source of creation. He is the head of creation. All things were created for him. He created them, but all things were created for him. Creation itself is an expression of the glory of Jesus Christ. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. I don't know if you've seen some of the Hubble pictures. I mean, that's just planet Earth, that tiny blue dot. That's our solar system, and we're just... And there's the Hubble telescope taking pictures of space beyond our imagining. And they're amazing pictures. But they're there to declare the glory of God. The majesty of Jesus. Mankind himself was made for the glory of God. And ultimately when Jesus returns, as he comes back for his church, that new humanity, that new community we will be made glorious in him. Thirdly, he is the sustainer. He holds it all together and preserves the harmonies of the cosmos. If you have a garden, you know, and those of you who are gardeners, because I'm not a gardener, you know how much work it requires just to keep a garden 
in trim. Imagine the universe. You see, God doesn't start the universe, create things, speak it into being, and then just so let it go. Until it fizzles out. Jesus speaks it into being. It's there for his glory and he sustains it. He sustains it. I was never a great physicist. In fact, I was very poor. But all the greatest minds on earth who figure it all out, the intricacies of the universe, yet missing the point that it's there for his glory. He sustains it, keeps in it harmony. And in a similar way, Jesus is the head, source, and sustainer of the church. And Christ's lordship of the church is vital to understand. I love, uh, have we seen that one? Oh, that's a brilliant. They they just call that the cross galaxy because they don't know what else to call it. It's so far away. And this is one of the millions and millions of galaxies in the universe. But I just love it. Because I see in it Jesus. You know, if Jesus is going to put his fingerprints on creation, and there out even in the cosmos, we have the cross galaxy. The lordship of Jesus Christ over his church. He is the source of the church. He is the beginning and firstborn from among the dead. I don't know if you've ever been into some church buildings. I've been into a few where, where I've been into the building and it's just covered in plaques. You know, do you know what I mean, what I'm talking about? Sort of memorials. A um, bit like those, but not quite. You know, just covered in memorials to human beings. And, and I don't want to sort of dampen down the gratitude that, that the church of Jesus Christ should have for great men and women of God. But we don't glorify them. We give thanks to God for faithful men and women, godly men and women, but we don't glorify them. We glorify Jesus. I've been in, when I was training to be a minister, I had to go and preach at lots of churches, part of the Spurgeon's experience. And I'd sit in the, and I always had to sit in the vestry. I was so glad when I came to Chipping Camden, they didn't have a vestry. You'd sit in the vestry, and they'd have pictures of all the old ministers surrounding you. And, uh, you know, helpful deacons would say, these were the great men of God who had ministered to us in the past. And you've come. (laughs) And they would have the favourites. Oh, that pastor, no, we don't talk about him anymore. but, But he was great. Jesus is great. Not a human being. Human being isn't the source of the church. Or even the head of the church. Where do we ever get that in our minds? We're grateful. 
But if we're going to have a memorial to anyone, let's have it to Jesus. And let that memorial be hearts and lives given over to God. Not a plaque on a wall. It all starts with Jesus. His death and resurrection makes possible a new community, a new humanity, a template for all people. He is the firstborn from among the dead. He's the first to receive a resurrection body that Jesus promises that we will all receive. Jackie Stratton is with Jesus now. We have no doubts about that. She is receiving the goal of her faith. We are sad about it. We're sad because she leaves a family. And it is painful and heartbreaking. But we know she is with Jesus. And we know we will see her again. Jesus was the first to receive that resurrection body. And it is a template for ours that one day, and whether we die before he comes again, or whether we have the privilege of seeing Jesus come again, we are going to have this new body when he comes again and makes all things new. He is the only founder in everything he has, this supremacy. He is the head of the body. The church of Jesus Christ has only one head. Now when we talk about the church, there are normally three centers of human authority for the local church. There's the members of a church, the leaders of a church, or external leaders, sort of translocal leaders, whether they're apostles or bishops or things like that. And simply put, because I'm very simple, congregational churches, of which Baptists are a part, emphasize the authority of the gathered body, the membership of the church, discerning the mind and the will of God. Presbyterian churches tend to emphasize the leadership and the leadership team, those who have been recognized among the fellowship as those who God has raised up to give leadership to the church. Or Episcopal churches tend to emphasize the, the sort of authoritarian leaders, not, not in a bad way, but sort of translocal leaders, whether they be bishops or apostles. And within this broad range of choices, individual churches work out their own distinctive, seeking to serve Christ in that whatever style of governance they choose. None of them are perfect. And all of them are biblical. There's not just one way of doing church in that way. And my own personal view, for what it's worth, I think it works best when all of them work together. When there is that gathered community that discerns the mind and will of Christ. Where leaders are allowed to lead because they've been recognized as those that God has put his hand on to be leaders. Where we do acknowledge that we need translocal leadership that can speak into a life of a fellowship. And in some senses we're trying to model that within cornerstone churches. Of five churches working together, sharing resources, sharing leadership. But in all of that, Jesus is the one who leads us. He is the one that we look to. Any of those models can go wrong when the eyes of whoever are taken off the Lord Jesus. There has to be that mutual 
submission. Jesus is the head of his church. And Paul reminds the Colossians, the creative power of the Lord of the cosmos, the resurrection power of the Lord of life, the extravagant grace of the Lord who died on the cross, all these resources belong to the church that is yielded to Jesus as Lord and Saviour. Where Christ is given unreserved control. Things go wrong when people take control into their own hands. In the life of churches, we must keep Christ central. Central in our vision. Central to all that we want to do is for him and for his glory. Thirdly, he is the sustainer of the church. Just as he keeps the cosmos, sustains it every day, he keeps his church. And he's coming back for his church. A bride prepared for him. The ultimate destiny of his church is in his hands. Our confidence is in that the crucified, risen saviour is coming again when our commission will be complete and just finally he is Lord of all because we're going to share communion in a few minutes time this central remembrance of Jesus and what he's done for us so Paul as he writes to this church, wants them to put their eyes firmly on Jesus. Knowing that there are pressures from outside, yeah. And knowing that there are seeking to be people undermining, even sometimes from within, he says, put your eyes on Jesus. The three pivotal moments of cosmic history are in the hands of Christ. At the dawn of time, the eternal Jesus brought all things into being. Just at the right time, the incarnate Son enters this world to offer a sacrifice that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And at the end of time, the ascended Son will return in all his glory to judge the living and the dead and to make all things new. So when we're facing pressures, whether they be personal or church or even national, global things, the church of Jesus Christ remembers Jesus is in control. He's in charge. Whoever else is pretending to be in charge, he is in ultimate charge. And whatever uncertainties and pressures of the day, they are only momentary. They will pass. And we put our trust afresh in Jesus Christ. So this church that receives this letter hears these words that Jesus is in control of all things and his church. And the call of his church is just to look to him.
For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So let's come to worship him, the one who is over all. I'm going to invite the band to come back. Let's just pray before we do so. Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning. We come as individuals with all the complexities of our lives. We've come this morning to meet with you. And we thank you that your word has taught us this morning that you are above all things. That you hold all things together. You spoke them into being. You sustain all things. So we can trust you with everything. Help us to hand those things that we're struggling with right now. Just hand them over to you. And help us to renew that allegiance to you. If it's wavered in any way. And help us to glorify you, Jesus. We pray that for us as a church together. Help us to glorify you. That we might see your kingdom come. As individuals come to know you as Savior and Lord, and we rejoice. We rejoice even this week you've added to your number those who are being saved. We pray for more next week. And we pray for revival, Lord that you would use us. But help us to keep our minds, our eyes fixed on you. To worship you for who you are and for what you've done. Amazing God. You spoke creation into being yet offers your life that sacrifice on the cross. We thank you. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing. Mm-hmm.